0: Hello, it is 7:30 a.m. in New York, 2:30 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 7:30 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. I had just arrived in Switzerland. The days before me were what you call sheltering in place. And to shelter in place is when your government says, don't leave your home because what is going on outside your doors? It happened to be that I was in Burkina Faso at the time when there was an attempted coup d'etat. And my husband happened to be in Switzerland at the time. So I was in Burkina, he was in Switzerland, and the borders were closed. Sheltering in place with my kids, hearing what we told my kids was the sound of popcorn, which was the sound of either bullets or blanks outside of our door and wondering if anything was going to go amiss. Thankfully, we found an opportunity when the borders opened to leave Burkina and find a bit of peace in Switzerland temporarily to regroup. And that day when I got back to Switzerland, we were welcomed by dear friends and they said, sure, you can spend the night here. My husband was actually going back to Burkina in a day or two and we were standing outside looking at their beautiful house and their pool. I decided to go in and take a shower. As I'm down the stairs getting ready to get in the shower, I hear a siren and I duck. I was surprised at how my body responded. And the siren was simply a siren from an alarm for the pool. If a child jumps in, then the alarm sounds and everybody knows you need to be alerted to check the child in the pool. But I was shocked at how I ducked. Later that week, also when a plane went overhead, I felt the sensation to duck. And I thought, is this like a little bit of PTSD? Is this a little bit of trauma from that situation? And in that moment, I had so much respect for people who really do go through trauma, who have deep traumatic experiences where. What is happening to them has an impact on them that goes beyond their control. So this is an important topic, trauma and transition, one that affects globally mobile families living all over the world who have sudden abrupt transitions, might have sudden family loss or even political upheaval an important topic, and I'm so grateful to have an expert with us today, Shelly Burrows, who is a transition and trauma specialist and also a registered art psychotherapist to help us understand trauma better. So welcome to Expat Happy Hour, Shelly.
1: Thank you very, very much for your wonderful introduction, Sunday.
0: Well, I want to tell them a little bit more about you so they understand why I'm such a big fan. So I know that you were born in England. You moved to Wales. You have a Canadian father. So you were basically a TCK from birth. Now you're raising TCKs, third culture kids. Although you're right now based in the UK, you've lived and worked in the US, Australia, Japan, Canada, and Malaysia. Right? You get it. You understand expat life. Not only has Shelly lived the life, but she's specialized in supporting highly traumatized and abused children and teenagers since 2003. I mean, how amazing does a person have to be to say yes to that kind of support, right? What kind of resilience can you imagine Shelly has when that's the work that she's doing? She's worked for the National Health Service in the UK with first Nation teenagers in Canada And this is the interesting thing with international school students in Malaysia. And what I found most interesting was that Shelly shared with me that she was amazed to find similar levels of trauma and PTSD symptoms in all three of these groups. Yeah. Right. So that is amazing, Shelly. So thank you for being here today. And I just want to say thank you for the important work that you're doing for the global mobility community. Thank you very much. It is so important. I can't do this work, right? That's way beyond my professional scope. Regular parents can't do this work. It's it's really, truly an important contribution. Before we dive in, I would, could you define for us in the most basic sense, what is trauma?
1: Well, there's different types of trauma. And a very simple way that I found of describing it that actually made sense to a lot of people was there are small T traumas and large T large traumas. So large T traumas, the big ones are kind of the transition, loss, bereavement, war, terrorism, very, very high levels of trauma, the things that are more obvious to us. And for a lot of people, it can be physical attack, it can be childhood neglect, physical abuse, all of those big T traumas. Small T traumas are the smaller traumas that are more to do with how uh, how we are going on in our daily lives. So it can be things like, for instance, the loss of a pet could be a small T trauma for many people, but it's how your brain perceives the trauma. So small T traumas, they can be frequent moves, frequent changes, friends leaving school, you moving to another place at very, very short notice. But over time, those small T traumas can kind of stack up and have more and more of an effect. Now, the jury is out at the moment whether small T traumas can add up to make big T traumas or even post-traumatic stress disorder called PTSD. And some people say that it can, and some people say that it can't. My rule of thumb as a clinician is that if I am looking at a case-by-case, case, an individual and their symptoms are increasing They are struggling more. They are disconnecting with daily life. There is more avoidance. There is either higher shows of emotion where they are crying or becoming very angry, or they completely shut down. This is where I assess by case by case basis. And children, teenagers, and adults all perceive trauma quite differently. Right.
0: Oh, I just, I mean, I have chills when I think about this because. When there is either a big T or a small T trauma, um, it's not that just
1: one person is impacted. It impacts the entire family. Yes. Yes, it does. And you you may have, for instance, if you have, say, in my case, children, when I moved, uh, the older children, they perceive it in one way. The younger children perceive it in another way. So you may have younger children that are not developmentally able to fully understand what is going on, who might seem to breeze through transitions, whereas you will have older children or teenagers that have to say goodbye to their friends, don't want to move, or conversely, you will just have different factions within the family where some people want to leave and some people want to stay. Right. So here's the thing. My intention today is
0: not to paint global life as this traumatic experience that people should um, avoid. Because if anybody's ever listened to my podcast, you know I am all about making the most of your life abroad and, and enjoying it, embracing it, cherishing it. And I think that when we're smart about small T traumas or big T traumas, we can make smart choices in how we support ourselves, how we support others. And these, when we hear the word trauma, it feels like an exception to the rule. However, when I look at you know, the global community that I'm in touch with, it is not uncommon for someone to reach out online and say, hey, my kid is going through a really rough time, right? is anybody here to help? So I think it's worth looking at in terms of the biggest sense on how we can be more savvy um, to look at the signs um, and empower ourselves for what can we do to either prevent some of this or proactively work with this when it happens. So that was something important I just wanted to say as a caveat. Um, Okay. So to help me understand here, we've got small T and big T I kind of, when I was listening to that list, I'm like, boy, we've been in situations where we've had big T and small T happen at the same time, right? Sometimes those those come in packages, right? Where a family is, is dealing with, you know, big T trauma and small T trauma all at the same time. Can you tell me um, what are some symptoms or signs we should look out for? that there is some stress from the trauma, big T or small T, that someone's going through?
1: So you have two ends of the spectrum. You can have what's called emotional numbing, Mm -hmm. where effectively the individual will kind of shut down. So you will have – if I'm thinking about when I worked at international school, you would have some students that would come in and they would cry and they would rant and they would get all their feelings out there on the table – and we'd be very, very clear on how they felt, how they didn't want to do this, how they didn't want to do that, and the impact on their life. So they were very, very clear, but they also reacted in an emotional way. Now, when you have this reaction, it gives you something very, very clear to see. You can clearly say, There's, this is something that I have noticed. It's increasing over time. If we're transitioning, it is getting higher and higher, the closer and closer to the leaving point. But the other side of the spectrum is when effectively the individual shuts down or switches off. Mm-hmm. So they're so overwhelmed, they might come into a session and they not really might not say anything. I mean, you have that kind of classic sort of teenage boy response where they just sort of mm, make this kind of noise and maybe roll their eyes. Sometimes we'll mm-hmm. get that in younger children, but they do not want to open that box and in therapy we quite often refer to it as Pandora's box we are keeping the lid on the box we are not going there when you get to that point that is when we would be looking at I would want a conversation with the parents obviously this is in a school context but as much information as you can get teachers parents or even just by watching what they're doing. If it's your child and you're at home with them, is just, what are they doing? Is there anything that they're doing differently? Are they struggling at bedtime? That's a very common one. Are they waking early and unable to get back to sleep? Is there any regression? Regression is key. If it's a child where they are maybe wetting the bed again, or in some cases, soiling, problems with eating, Older people, it might be a case of issues with eating, um, self-harming, or just a kind of change in behavior, which seems to have come completely out of nowhere. All Mm -hmm. of those are very, very common.
0: I'm struggling here with some of these signs to differentiate between being a teenager and suffering um, traumatic stress.
1: With this, I would say communication is key. Now, I know, I, I have teenager myself, that communication with teenagers can be quite difficult. And also, they're wanting to assert their control and be uh, in control of what's going on. So they're not usually the most giving of information. One thing that I've found to be very useful if wanting to talk and strike up a conversation with a teenager or maybe someone who's less verbal and might not want to say as much is... Quite often in a car, because it's a safe contained space, is a good place to have a conversation and they can kind of jump out of the car when you get home and they are in control of that ending. The other part of the equation as an art psychotherapist is the use of images. Now, I'm not proposing that people be uh, in their mind an art psychotherapist and an art psychotherapist is several years of training. But if you have younger children and they are Drawing maybe things that just tell me a little bit about your picture that maybe are different to what they've done before mm-hmm. or play themes. And if they are playing with their toys, and you are either seeing repetitive, they're kind of going around the same themes, the same things over and over again, or there is no clear ending. This is so interesting about the drawings. I'm
0: going to just share a quick story here from that same synopsis I shared at the top. You know, uh, during this time of sheltering in place, I my, I was staying with an American friend and we, we really tried to create a fun environment as if it was like a five-day sleepover. And um, we put movies on, you know, we had young kids, we put movies on and, you know, made popcorn and did all these things. And I really thought... Um, you know, we if we did talk about stuff, it would be like in another room and quiet tone, etc. And I thought, OK, they just thought they had, you know, a five day sleepover with a little bit of questions around what's going on. When I landed in Switzerland, um, I watched my kids drawings in um, at our relative's house and they were of tanks they were of people in camouflage. They were because there was a tank that um, we drove by when we were getting to the airport. Because that was what was going on from a military perspective when we were there. So even though I thought I was sheltering them from that, they were absorbing it, and I discovered that by paying attention to their drawing.
1: And with drawings, a lot of children find is that for a huge amount of children, it is part of them processing what they are seeing and experiencing. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are traumatized. It doesn't necessarily mean that there are going to be problems further down the line. This is just how children process. And I mean, an example of a child, that a First Nations child that I work with in Canada, every session I saw him, he would come in and we would have our session. and At the end, he would draw on the corner of the blackboard a little figure of a girl. And then he would um, rub it out and leave. And he would not talk about it. He would not address it. And this went on for months. And I was kind of increasingly intrigued about this figure, but thought he'll tell me when he's ready. Uh, we got to a year worth of sessions and it was our actual last day before my training ended and before he moved schools. And he said, I suppose you want to know about the, the person on the board. And I said, yes. And, and he said, um, that was my sister who was killed in an accident. And wow. that was his way of processing. But he said, I also wanted to see if I could trust you enough to tell you and you didn't ask. So wow. it was just a very, very deep moment. And this was right at the end of my two years training in Vancouver, where I just saw the power of witnessing without asking. And I, I, believe me, believe me, there was repeated times I was desperate to know, but I knew that he would tell me when he was ready. And that was his way of processing what had happened.
0: Wow, that gives me chills at my arms. The power of witnessing without asking. Yes. Yes. Um, that's powerful. In coaching, it, what we talk about is a compassionate witness, how mm-hmm. you are just present and listen. And I think, as a parent, if we're talking about what parents can do, I think there's an internal dilemma that we feel as parents because while cognitively we know that they need a compassionate listener and a witness to their struggles. We also want to fix
1: it and make it better. Most definitely. And I mean, the day, the last day that we left Kuala Lumpur, um, as we were leading up to leaving. So for the last two months, me and my family, me mainly and my children would do a drawing every couple of days to just see how we were doing with our transition. So all these different things came up and some were quite humorous and some were a bit sad and some were quite dark. And mainly mine were the dark ones with my adult We're going back to the UK head on. But my children's just became, their pictures shrunk. They got smaller and smaller. um, And I have actually got them on my website. The process is there for all to see. But on the last day, my my son drew um, a Patronus Towers, the twin towers in Kuala Lumpur. And it looked like they were crying. And he wouldn't hmm. talk about it. And my, then my daughter basically said on, we were going out for our last meal and she completely broke down and just begged us not to leave. And I think as a parent, it was one of the most distressing moments I've ever experienced. I was her parent, but I was also the school counsellor. I was always there to make sure that things were as good as they could be. And I just saw my daughter completely, completely implode. Yeah. Oh, that's so
0: Mm. Right. It's so hard when, I mean, the same thing, I'm an intercultural specialist, so that's my job to help people through transition. And then when I watch my own kids struggle,
1: mm. <sighs> it's hard. It's, it's really hard, hard. And I think also for her, I mean, she, she said a few weeks later that she, she felt a bit better afterwards because she knew I was listening. And I think it mm. about listening, I, I wanted to make it better. But I knew at that point, I couldn't change what was going to happen. And that was the the hardest part for me. But the images, when we look back on them, when we got to, back to the UK a few and a few months later I found them. She talked me through what she'd been thinking and she said she found it very helpful because she didn't have to share with me on words using words. Well,
0: I, I want to know more about this. So can you tell us more?
1: There's a lot of um
0: ways in which um, trauma can emerge in a globally mobile context, but let's just focus on transition, mm-hmm. right? When when we have to leave, whether it's planned or whether it's abrupt, help me understand what can parents do? I'm hearing there's something withdrawing. I'm hearing, listening. What can a parent do who's not trained in art therapy, right? Um, to support our kids in transition, to minimize the negative impact and still hold space for that?
1: The school that I worked at in Kuala Lumpur, we realized that this was something that we were coming up on a termly basis because the turnover, it was an international school, was very, very high. So every term we would run this workshop, say how to say a good goodbye workshop. So it was all about how to say a good goodbye before you transition. And that to me has remained and is key To pretty much all of the experiences that I've witnessed, whether or not the person has a year's notice, three months notice. And for a couple of individuals that was very, very painful to witness where they found out that they were going to be changing schools that morning was their (sighs) last day, which I would cannot disagree with more. It caused huge outpourings of grief. They did not have time to consolidate anything. They did not have time to say a good goodbye. So mm-hmm. saying good goodbye is saying goodbye to everything, whether it's mm-hmm. places, whether it's restaurants, whether in our case in England, when we left, we had um, a huge tree outside our house and we called it the bee tree because all the honeybees liked it. We said goodbye to the bee tree. That was important and mm-hmm. said goodbye to our friends, of course, but it was saying goodbye to our car. We said goodbye to so many things, but you are acknowledging and you are saying I am grateful for you and we are moving on secondly it's very easy to underestimate the making sure that you're getting as much sleep as you can that you're eating properly that you're not uh, in in teenagers cases up on devices half the night that didn't help but for them it was just a case of communication is key even if you're having a bad day we try and share something about how we're feeling with parents The need to prove that you are the parent who can hold it all together, that can be the person that's in control and make everything effortlessly run from A to B to C, I would say forget that. It is about showing who you are, being the container for everybody else's needs, but also it's a family container. You all support each other, but you are also there for each other without needing words. And I, what I love
0: about this, one, there's a couple of things I'm just going to step back on. You know, this idea of saying goodbye, there, we, there might be people out there who are listening who say, well, if I say goodbye to all these things, it's going to like add salt to the wound, right? But actually, it's a really healthy part of acknowledging um, the connection that you had with people, places, and things, the gratitude, and allowing people to move on. I love that you talk about the sleeping and eating my, in my work, what I notice is when pressure gets high and that's in transition, cause you have so much more to do on top of your regular life, that the first thing to go is your self-care. And I always say double down on your self-care in those times. Cause yes. that's when you need it most. Right. Yes. And then the third thing, what I'm seeing is um, checking in on how people feel And what I love about what you shared is, you know, we ask our kids to um, say goodbye to their friends and we say it's okay to cry, but we won't cry in front of them. Like, how is that okay? Yes. (laughs) Right? How is that okay? So uh, giving yourself permission to actually process your own transition, I think is so healthy for kids. Tell me more about this without words. I'm a words person. I'm a communication person. My poor kids, like... (laughs)
1: I always ask them to articulate stuff like how do we do this without words so from my perspective and this is where my my more um, therapist head comes on is what are they saying without actually saying it what is a child Mm -hmm. or a teenager or an adult what is the person saying without actually verbally saying anything and again we all work in a globally mobile community uh, if you've lived in a country where you've not spoke the language, you become more attuned to this. What is somebody saying without using words? And what I've found over time is that a lot of people have a kind of pattern. They will have a way of showing things. I always ask the, the, the question, are you upset because you're angry or angry because you're upset? Hmm. Most of us tend to be more in one or the other camp. So I get quite, quite uh Angry and grumpy when I'm upset because it's easier for me to show that. That's very much my conditioning. Whereas I meet people that will be in floods of tears because they're angry. So which one are you? I
0: hate that, by the way. If I'm angry and then I start slobbering, crying, like it really takes out the impact of my anger. I am mad (laughs) that (laughs) I. There's like I'm so mad, and then I'm like this slobbery mess. Like I want to show you how mad I am, but I'm not. (laughs) I
1: can't. And and for me, from a cultural perspective, British people don't do mad. Yeah. They don't do mad in in the same way that I do. So I I would say that it's part of my Scots-Irish background. I said they're kind of banging heads together. Mm. But it's with that, what's the person trying to tell you? Mm -hmm. Is there something just get that gut reaction saying, "Uh uh-uh, take a bit of notice of this. This is important. Yeah, Because there is loss. And this is where saying goodbye comes in. Thank you very much. Gratitude. And we can look at this as an important milestone. It's painful, but we're acknowledging it. And if you don't have that, then there is unresolved loss. Right. And unresolved loss is further down the line. It's a bit as if like the last word that you say to somebody isn't very nice and then they die. Right. On a very extreme example, you cannot go back.
0: Yeah. So I love what you said milestone there. I just want to touch on that for a second, because I think continuity in our global mobility, you know, if you're a rotational expat, I mean, you might be a love pat, you might you might be living abroad for other reasons, but the ones who are rotational, who know they're going to leave every two to four years, let's say, there there needs to be continuity in the story if everything is always changing, right? Yes. And I love that you talk about milestones, because when I think about that, it's, this is a stone a celebration a moment in our entire journey. Yes. Yes. Right? There's it's not disconnected. It's part of
1: the journey. Yes. And it gives it momentum and it makes you realize that it has meaning. It's what meaning does this have? You don't have to tie up all the ends. You don't need to be projecting in your head, Oh, where will going to this school get me in 10 years time? It isn't that kind of ego way of looking at things. It's a very intuitive gut feeling where, say, for instance, from my position where I return to the UK and the UK is obviously in a state of flux at the moment, as everybody knows, but that's another topic I can't work because the legal requirements for me to get my my um my permission to work have changed significantly Uh, my children are at school living their life my husband is at work leading his life and I'm at home cleaning the toilet and wiping mold off the walls it's very very Mm -hmm. difficult to see milestone in that kind of point of view when I'm in that place thinking I hate this I've left my nice warm uh, big apartment in Malaysia and now I'm here dealing with this but there is that looking forward, where does this fit? What can I learn from this? What is this bringing to my table? Mm -hmm. Where does it fit? What can I learn from this?
0: And what does it bring to my table? Yeah. Very good. Oh, there's so much to do. So we've looked at what parents can do. I'm hearing so far is observing your children, Mm -hmm. which of course it sounds obvious, but let's be honest. When we're in the middle of transition, it is so easy to get self-absorbed, right? Like you you have all the things you have to do, you know, you're feeling your own stuff and you just want your kids to have clean underwear and food and sleep and shower, right? Like, let's be honest. So just taking a, a step back and a moment, to observe the patterns I think my husband's better at that than I am he's really good about noticing mm. slight changes in the kids and I feel like I'm the one who's like running the show you know the routine like get up brush your teeth eat the food get on the bus and I think that because he's not as physically around as much as I am he's the one who notices it from the yes, level
1: a right? people find that that's a really good point
0: so that's really, so observe, right? Or maybe you can ask your partner. Like if I know that about myself, I can say, hey, have you noticed anything different? Or can you help me look yeah. to see what's going on, yeah. right? So I think that as a, if you're in a partnership and you're co-parenting, that might be something you can do. I'm hearing um, this, this planning in ahead, you know, this really how important it is to acknowledge um, the goodbyes and show gratitude. I like what you talked about, what... What meaning does it have? And asking, you could ask your kids that. Yes. um, What meaning that experience has for them. And then um, inviting some things, like if you do have younger kids, watching the drawings. or Tell me more about this thing that you were doing you know, leading up to the transition, did you make your kids sit at the table and draw? Because I don't know if my kids would be into that. Tell me what you did. I did to
1: start with, and then I realized that I think several drawings in that that that, that wasn't going to happen every day. My, my children by that point were, they were just as drained as I was. So I realized that if it was going to just be me, then it would just be me. If they were going to join me, then I would give them the choice. And that's basically mm-hmm. how it worked. So some of them are just mine. Uh, There was another one where we got the Monopoly game, the Kuala Lumpur Monopoly game, and we used all the pieces, which saved drawing. That was interesting. But there were Mm. some images, like I said, my sons in particular took up less and less and less space the nearer and nearer we got to leaving. And then when I got back to the UK, I pretty much continued because I was the only one at home. And it was really interesting looking at, at my images. But it was my kids. They basically said that, they wanted to come back because we came back to where we started. And the one I would touch upon in transition and difficult transitions, coming back to exactly the place you started in can be one of the most difficult transitions to ever go through. And
0: I... Yeah, my, my kids are resisting it. I mean, I, I'm talking to one of my sons is like, nope, mm. nope. I want to go somewhere new. Yes. He, he doesn't even want to think about it.
1: No, and my children, I mean, they came back. And I mean, for, um, just to make a point... About six weeks ago, my so my daughter's a year before high school, so she's in UK Year Six. She's she's eleven years old. I took her to see her teacher. Her new teacher was reporting about her work, um, how well she was doing, but said I've got some sort of queries about the way she writes, the the way she phrases things. And I said, well, she's come from a different system, and the teacher had no idea what I was talking about. She said, I really, really, what do you mean, new system? I said, well, she went to school in Kuala Lumpur. And the teacher said, oh, right. She said, so that's why in our RE class last week, your daughter stood up and told us all about Islam. She said, Mm -hmm. I had absolutely no idea. So it's communication with. So if you're looking at it from a parent working with a school, the communication with the school so that the school is aware that the transition is going to be taking place or that your child has just transitioned, which is equally important. The other Mm -hmm. part of it is if you are looking at, we are going through our transition how is our child doing? School is always a great place to find out because teaching mm-hmm. so much that parents don't see. So I would always say you could contact your class teacher, you could contact the school, if there's any um, involvement with school counsellors, then I would just see, is there anything that you could give me information about? But the teacher, the class teacher, is a really, really good place to just say, look, I've got a few queries, we're transitioning could you just keep an eye out and let me know if there's anything that's different or that you might think is related to this?
0: That's so, it's so important. It's like your teacher is an ally on the other side of transition. And what I know is, for example, if my children were to transition to a Swiss school, it would be incredibly challenging just Mm -hmm. from language and culture, etc. And the teacher themselves probably would have no idea the way my kids have been raised, right? So you really have to create understanding between the teacher
1: and the parent, so they know um, what to look at. Yes. And I mean, my children, if you saw them, if you hear them speaking, you would think British children 110%, you would just have no idea they grew up in a Muslim country. And then this is where it doesn't take very long for the realisation, so my, my son refused to wear Speedos to swimming because he was not comfortable wearing Speedos, I had to go in school and explain why he didn't yep. want Speedos. And they were fine, but it was just that, well, he's British, he's like everyone else, he's not different, why is he acting like this? And schools mm-hmm. can be fantastic allies. Uh, some international schools have great counselling services. Some counselling services will run workshops like these on a termly basis because... The expat lifestyle, the highs are incredibly high and the lows can be incredibly low. But that is the price that globally mobile communities pay. And I wouldn't change anything. I, I, I just heard this, um, this
0: from a client. She said her father used to say, if you want to dance, you've got to pay the band.
1: Yes, that's perfect. I love that.
0: Yes. So it's like, yes. that's we got to pay the band. And I also believe truly, even though I wouldn't have said this probably 20 years ago, the hardest moments of my life in retrospect were some of the richest moments of my life. And the deepest place of learning. And I think I grew up in a way where you should avoid discomfort. Like everybody's happy. Everybody's fine. Let's minimize conflict. Right. And at the same time, when, excuse my French, when shit hit the fan
1: and Mm -hmm. I was in the
0: middle of it, what I learned afterwards added
1: so much depth in my life. I'm grateful for it. And it's that gratitude that comes from that experience. I mean, sometimes I think that, that fear can almost be telling you to do something. Mm-hmm. You you learn to listen to fear. And especially in my job, when I'm listening to people talking about fear and the emotions that come with it. And at the moment, I work with quite a few um, um, Asian children that have been adopted by European parents And I'm listening to the trauma in their backgrounds and the fear and the part of you that doesn't have words, the limbic part of your brain, your gut reaction. There aren't words. There are only feelings. Mm. And that's very, very hard to manage if you're a words person, Mm if you're a words person. But I would also just like to say is that with most individuals transition is something that we learn to manage it doesn't mean that it's easy we find our own processes we find what works for us for children it might just be a case of well this is what I did and I've got new friends but the more you do it the more you can either become numbed to it which is something that could bring its own issues further down the line or triggered by it and it's just every day you're just kind of walking a line and you might have a numb day Uh, We all need them Uh, and you might have a trigger date and we all need those as well. So it's just about recognizing that we have these twos and fro's, but it's also when they go further than that, which might be the next point to discuss is what should I do and when do I need to find professional help? Absolutely. That was exactly my next
0: question. Help us understand as parents, when are we reaching our limit and when do we need to reach out to someone who, like you, who's a professional?
1: So what I would say is, is that for a lot of children, it is just a spectrum of behavior and it's how far along they move along that spectrum. So if you are looking at a child who, okay, brothers and sisters kick and hit each other, Um, They fight their sibling rivalry. But if a child is doing it, say, with classmates, they're becoming aggressive to more people, then they might turn the aggression on themselves in the form of self-harming. So if it is anything that concerns you that is moving on along a spectrum and increasing in severity, so, say, self-harming, it might be, you know, little slight cuts on their arm, and then all of a sudden it's big cuts on their legs – Um, how long it's been going on for. So it's something that you thought was going to happen for a month and then all of a sudden three years later they're still doing it and it's got worse. That's a very extreme example I know. Or regression, again, where you suddenly have an eight-year-old who's wetting the bed, um, talking in baby talk. I've seen quite a few traumatised children that are eight but will kind of talk in baby voices like three-year-olds when they're in very, very high-stress situations or lack of eating, eating disorders. You would have to look, um, again, this is with teenagers, some of the online things that they are doing or that they are involved in all their histories. Mm. That is something that we had a lot of input in on the school I worked in because we had so, so many problems with the um, anorexia and bulimic students visiting these kind of pro-anorexia sites. Mm. Oh, that, no. How much weight has my child lost? But it's a composite picture because yes, teenagers will go up and down. All children do. But it is something where I have a parent come to me and said, I knew then that I had to send them to you. Now we have that little voice in our head. And I know as a parent myself, when I've had to go in to speak to teachers about what my children have been up to, it's not a very nice feeling. Right, right. And I think here's what I'm thinking of.
0: Um, When you talked about aggression moving on the spectrum, um, it's like in hindsight you realize it was going on for three or four months. Yes, right. Yes, but during that time, those were tiny little moments, right? And we're not connecting the dots. Yes. And so I'm guessing. I mean, I think about my own situation where even something simple like physical, like signs of asthma. Let's say, I had with one of my sons. we were like, wait a minute. He's mm. been having breathing problems for seven months. Like, how did I miss that? You're not yes. connecting the dots. And I'm wondering, this sounds kind of nerdy of me, like, cause I want it to be very scientific, but should we be journaling about these things? What can we be doing as parents to sort of connect the dots faster?
1: You can do um, what I would recommend is firstly developing good communication with teachers because they're very good at joining up the dots because they Mm. have a bit more objectivity. But also if you have – so we would have at our school kind of parents' groups of children that were in transition. So they could kind of have these coffee mornings together so that they were chatting. And it was really common for one parent to say, oh, you know, my daughter started doing this and it's driving me crazy. And then all of a sudden you Mm. would see this – drop moment but in that setting it's not therapy so there was no shame attached there was no embarrassment one person had voiced it Mm -hmm. and often it would be it would be maybe the oil family parents they they tended to be quite quite chatty about things that were going on but then you also had the parents that um were very very clear that everything was perfect and Mm. that nothing was so When we had these group settings, it developed relationships between these groups where they could actually talk a little bit more about what was going on. The mums that were at home, the dreaded trailing spouse title that I detest, (laughs) they had backup from each other. But they were also often able to reconnect in the next country that they'd gone to because that's just the nature. That's one of the amazing things about our lifestyle. Right. With joining up dots, even myself as a psychotherapist, I've had moments where I've looked back and thought, I missed that. What yep. was I thinking? Right. You can channel things, but I would suggest that connection with other people going through the same thing can help because they will start talking your brain starts processing in a different way. Yeah. So I'm hearing, stay,
0: keep curious with the people who have contact with your kids, whether it's the teachers, um, fellow parents, and your partner, maybe even siblings. One little trick that I've learned along the way is, um, and I hope my kids don't watch and listen to this because then they're <laughs> going to know, but I'll say something like, hey, how do you think your brother's doing right now? Like I'll ask the younger one about the older one, also the older one about the younger one, um to see if they've got a, you know their hand on the pulse of the other sibling, and that's a little secret way
1: to find out, too. <laughs> Awesome. That's a really great way of doing it. It's Also with carers. I, I forgot to include carers. Yep. If, if you have a, a long term carer that knows your child well enough yep. to say they've not been eating their tea when they come home or, you know, I'm noticing that they've been quite tearful, but nobody knows why. It's It's like being a detective getting as many jigsaw pieces as you can. But I'm aware that when you're transitioning and you're exhausted and you don't want to go there yourself, that can be very very difficult yeah so let's just let's just accept that as
0: part of a matter of course when we live yeah. in transition, which are always in transition, we need to take regular checkpoints about our kids. Yeah. Um, And that's the same thing with any relationship, right? You check in to make sure that things, the wheels don't fall off um, too far down the road before you readjust. (laughs) So listen, you have so much to offer and I would love to speak with you for hours and hours and more, but I know that I have to respect your time. Tell me if people would like to get in contact with you, where can they find you?
1: Yes. If you go to my website, which is www.shellyburrows.com, um, I'll spell, well, my, my name is up there, isn't there? People will be able to see the spelling of my name. I it will put the me- link in the show notes. Yep. Yeah. The link is there. Um, All the information and contact details are on there. The images that I did with my family and myself are on there. And any questions, please contact me. I'd love to hear from you because the trauma field is coming into its own. Four years ago, nobody wanted to really go there. And now people are joining the dots. Thank you very much, Sunday. It has
0: been amazing. So thank you so much. My hope is that by sharing your wisdom and your insight that one parent is going to hear this and make a choice and connect those dots just a little faster and support their kid in a new way that wouldn't have been possible without you. So thank you so much. You've been listening to Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean. Thank you for listening. I'm going to leave you with the words of Michelle Rosenthal. Trauma creates change you don't choose. Healing is about creating change you do choose.